is research on memory. Like our memories are so unreliable. Like they have done studies like where they have convinced people that they have like committed crimes that they did not commit. Like they bring participants into a lab and like ultimately the participants like, okay, here's what happened. Like it was October 4th and I like robbed this bank and it did not happen. Welcome back to Just Doing Life with your favorite host, Megan. It's me, it's moi. I have a great episode for you all today. We speak with Mary, who got her PhD in psychology. And when I tell you I was nerding out, I was so excited. I love psychology. If anyone knows me, you know those are like my favorite types of books to read. I'll just go to the library and just pull a random psych book. So I definitely did this out of my own benefit, my own gain, because I was just so curious by Mary's like educational background and how she got into it and some of the studies. So we do touch a breadth of things. We touch how she got into psychology. She actually tried out a couple different internships, which I thought was so interesting because a lot of people have their thought of what they want to do in college and work for that and then decide later that's not what they want to do, but she actually tried quite a few things in college and then she gets into psych. She talks, she's in like a business psych, um, type of area. So she's looking at how your psychology affects business transactions or business relationships, partnerships, things like that. So it's super interesting. And then about halfway through, we get to talk about just psych in general. So we talk about subconscious thoughts and how you are subconsciously always judging other people and how those thoughts can change your perception on the relationships you build and the world around you. So lots of great stuff in this episode. I love it because we're transitioning, like I've said, I've said a million times, but I'm trying to get more into just learning about other people, learning about the things they do, taking a little bit away from career advice, things like that. And I think that's exactly what we did in this episode. So I'm excited for you all. So with that, I'm just going to jump right into the episode and I hope you all enjoy. Ta-da! I hated that. Sorry. Here's Mary. Okay, awesome. But yeah, so as I was saying, hey everybody, um, me and Mary just got on the phone together. I met Mary on TikTok, one of my favorite platforms to meet people. But the video that intrigued me so much was the one you posted. It was a picture of two girls and the study that you were discussing um, was people gravitated towards the girl on the left or maybe she was on the right. I don't remember, but but essentially they said that she was more um, conventionally attractive and it turns out it's actually the same woman. She was just ovulating in the picture that she said, or that everyone chose of her being more attractive. And I was like, oh my God, science. I love this. And I went to your profile, saw you were in psych, and I was like, oh my gosh, I would love the opportunity to chat with you. So that's how Mary awesome. got here today. But before I steal your thunder, um, I just want to give you the floor, give a little introduction, who you are, where you're from, and then we'll get into all the good juicy psychology stuff. Okay, awesome. Um, so I am a first year PhD student in, uh, at Cornell. Um, and I'm in the psychology, I mean, it's called organizational behavior. That's the department I'm in. So it's really just psychology and business settings. And I primarily look at how we make judgments of each other. So part of that is physical appearance, right? How the way we look impacts the way we judge each other, and then go into other things like conversations and race and gender and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but yeah, moved to New York from Chicago where I done my master's and then I'm originally from Minnesota. Awesome. Awesome. And I've been all over. Yeah, that's awesome. I my mind is like already getting so excited to ask all these psych questions because I geek out on psych <laughs> so much. But I'm gonna I'm gonna hold myself to that until the end. Um, I would just love to start off by you know talking about how you got into psych in the first place, and then really hear what you're doing, like what your day to day is. So, um, take me through maybe like your progression from high school to college. I'm assuming you went off to school if you're you know studying psychology now. I feel like you can't really jump into that without a college degree. But yeah, um, yeah. I'd love to hear about those years sure so really for basically ever from like the time I can remember like talking about what I wanted to be when I grew up I wanted to I always told people it's kind of embarrassing now but I always would tell people I wanted to be a newscaster on the today show um so wanted to go into journalism for basically like my entire life and ironically um going into my senior year of college I went on this conference for it's held in DC by USA Today for aspiring journalists. It's actually a really great program. If anyone's interested in journalism, they should definitely check it out. One person from each state goes and you really get, you spend like the week at USA Today headquarters and really get a look at what it's like to be a journalist. Um, And from that experience, like I said, it was a great experience, but really realized that I did not actually want to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. Um, the field is just changing so much. I mean, at that point, it was 2012, 13-ish. And social media was kind of already, like, taking over a lot of the way we, you know, talked about news, shared news, etc. So decided uh, going into my senior year that I didn't really want to do journalism. Um, and my dad is actually, he's a psychologist by training. So he has his okay. PhD in counseling psychology. And so for my entire life, you know, that's always, you know, been something I've thought about, right? Just in conversations with him, the way, you know, we talk about people and the way he looks at the world. Psychology was always on the back burner, right? It's just kind of perspective-wise how I encountered things. Um, And so I decided, okay, maybe psychology Mm -hmm. um, and went into college applying as that major and ended up going to Boston College and as a freshman at Boston College um and I mean a couple things happened number one I realized I really did love the study of psychology and kind of the research that goes on in the field but then also I really realized how much I loved being at universities I mean like of course like the fun aspects of it you know like being a college student is really fun but you know, the academic side where universities are just such cool kind of microcosms of like interesting conversations. Stop, you're speaking my language right now. I have to. Yeah. <laughs> that is my favorite. I love the energy that you get on a college campus. And that's one thing that I've told yeah. my friends lately is I miss just walking into a library and hearing intelligent conversations or having very like fruitful conversations with everybody and anybody about everything and anything. Like, I feel like you, you miss that post-college so much. And that's something that I've been grasping for. That's why I love these sort of conversations where I speak with strangers about things they're passionate about or just learn new things because, oh my God, that's like my favorite. Sorry. I did not mean to digress there, but oh my gosh, we're on the same wavelength here. I mean, colleges, it's just, there aren't very many, I mean, I don't think there are really any other places in the world where everybody there is there to learn something, Mm -hmm. right? Students are there to learn, faculty are doing research learning, it just 
created such a cool pace, right? Um, and so loved universities. Um, but like I said, my dad has a PhD in psychology. So I was like, I don't know if I want to be like my dad. Um, <laughs> so that was, I mean, so I was like kind of hesitant about really like, you know, committing to like, okay, I'm going to go for a PhD um, early on. And then also, I mean, I think, and we'll probably get to this more. I think there was just this underlying question or like doubt I had in myself in considering that of like, am I, would I get in? If I got in, would I be good at it? You know? So mm -hmm. I, it wasn't until much later where I really was like, okay, I'm going to fully commit to this. So in the meantime, while I was in the back burner, I tried a lot of different things in college. I, um, interned at a couple of different corporate jobs, marketing, HR. I worked in politics for almost two years. Like while I was in school, I had like practically a full-time job on a political campaign in the area. Um, and, you know, liked those experiences, but I just really, I was really lucky. I got involved in research right away at Boston College, like I happened to have a couple of great professors freshman year who needed research assistance help. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, from an early point in my college career had just kind of been doing, you know, lab work, right? Like nothing, you know, highly contributive or important, but I mean, just was around research and kind mm -hmm. of had the opportunity to keep like being reminded by how cool it can be. Um, and then I also wrote, so I wrote my senior thesis and again, had a great advisor and mentor for that, but then also just really realized, like, I do like research a lot, but I still wasn't, I mean, getting a PhD. So it's a road. It's, it's a trek. <laughs> it is. It, I, it turns out it's a lot of trouble. Yeah. It's a lot of trouble to get your PhD. Yeah. And, really and with psychology and sort of the track you wanted to follow with it is really the ultimate next step to get a PhD? Like, are you, can you even progress in your career without a PhD or is that the track you have to follow if you want to do anything within psychology? No. So, I mean, it really does. I mean, that's also why I love psych. Like I always tell people, if you're unsure what you want to do, like give psychology a try because you can do so many things with it. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I know a lot of people in my psychology program who went on to work um, and like behavioral marketing jobs at companies who went on to work in human resources at companies. And then you can, I mean, there are institutes all over the country that do research work and you can go and work there in a professional capacity. Oh, that's um, cool. Okay. Yeah. So you don't necessarily, I mean, if you want to do, you know, if you don't want to do like counseling psychology, if you want to do counseling psychology, like be a therapist, anything kind of in that domain, then you do need to go mm -hmm. on. Um, and not necessarily get a PhD. There are a couple of different routes now. I mean, you can get a master's and then do, you know, a bunch of different clinical hours. Um, but yeah, you don't necessarily need an advanced degree. Yeah, that's, see, that's one thing that I think um, the, the one negative of schooling or like the way that our college education system is set up is I think 
a lot of assumptions are made based on the degrees you go into. It seems like it's a one track path to one type of role, but you just mentioned um, like behavioral marketing, taking your psych degree that way. And I'm sure that, you know, I didn't think about it, but hearing you even say that, I'm sure that's such a lucrative field because people want to know how is the marketing affecting, you know, the human psych? Like what are the consumers looking at from a marketing perspective that's actually going to sell our product. Um, so that's interesting. Yeah. Awesome. Okay, cool. Sorry. I did not mean to derail us, but would love to. Oh. So, so you were saying then you're, you're finally like deciding that I think I want to do psych despite your father doing it. You don't want to fall in the footsteps yeah. necessarily. Yeah. Um, take yeah. me through like that senior year process then. So, I mean, senior year was just absolutely kind of crazy because I was, so I started working in politics, um, like junior year of college and just happened to get like, like I've been so repeatedly lucky. I have just gotten really good mentorship at kind of all the different stages of this and ended up having a great mentor on the campaign I worked on um, who kind of promoted me. Like I ended up really in kind of like not full time, but like it was a lot of hours, a lot of, and it was paid. So I was like, all right, cool. And also I really like the work. Um, so for a long time, like around junior, senior year, I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And then eventually, I mean, it just, like I, like I said, I really liked it, but it just like wasn't, it didn't like energize me to a certain degree. Like it was exciting, but it was like at the end of the day, like what I would, what kind of captured my imagination was always this like psych piece. Right. Um, and like I said, I did get to work on a thesis. And I think that was a huge kind of push for grad school, like getting to actually do the process of doing research, having that experience, and also just kind of the, the proving to myself a little bit of like, oh, okay, I can do this, right? Mm-hmm. Like research can kind of be this like scary, big elusive thing. But once I did my thesis, I was like, okay, like I can do this. But I still wasn't positive. Right. So I kind of like, I kind of like soft launched a little bit. I was like, I'm not going to apply to PhD programs. Um, I'll apply to master's programs, like terminal master's programs. Um, so I applied to a couple throughout the, or all over the country um, and ended up going to University of Chicago um, for psychology. And again, just had like a very affirming experience there. It was really tough. I mean, it, it was like academically challenging. It just was like a, a lot of growth, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I like was really reassured of the fact that like this is what I wanted to do. And I did have this kind of backbone, as you mentioned, like I had tried a lot of different things. So there really at that point, like wasn't, I liked what I was doing as a grad student a lot. And then there really wasn't any doubt in my mind of like, oh, I wonder if I would like this more. Because I was like, no, I've tried it. And I, and I do like this better. Mm-hmm. So at that point, it was like, okay, Definitely PhD, but I took a research assistance job while I was in grad school at UChicago um, at their business school. So a lot of people don't know this. They're at business schools. There's al- almost always, um, typically it has different names, but it's basically an organizational behavior department. And that department is made up of psychologists doing psychology research sometimes pertaining to business, sometimes not at all. Um, but there's a lot of great psychology work that happens in business schools. And I was really made aware of that 
while working as a research assistant. What would the difference be between that type of research or like that type of psychology versus the typical psychology that we all equate to like the sciencey behavior? Is there, is there a clear difference between those that are working in the business school versus those that are outside? Or are you saying that all psychologists are working within the business school? No. So, I mean, the thing, I mean, it's interesting because a lot of faculty in business colleges are psychologists, like have a PhD in social psychology. And so they're doing, in some cases, they're doing the exact same work they would be doing if they were in a psychology department. And sometimes they're doing practically the same work, but just exploring phenomena within business settings. Okay. So for example, like with my research, I study, it's brought, it's called impression management, like how we perceive each other. Um, but since I'm in a biz, like as an OB student, I'll specifically look at questions of like, how do we perceive each other during a workplace negotiation? Got versus it. something, you know, more social psyche, like how do you, you know, interpret an action of like, someone on the street. On the bar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Oh, very so, I mean, cool. It's psych questions just within a business context. Okay, cool. Cool. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. A lot of like kind of the famous psychologists that we think of are work at business schools. That's crazy. Kind of yeah, I did like, not know that. I Adam mean, it Grant, makes sense. Adam I... Grant. Sorry, go ahead. Do you know Adam, Adam Grant? He's like oh. a really big one. He's at a business school. Yeah. Jonathan Hyatt. He's at a business school. Okay. So very interesting. Yeah. I mean, it makes, it makes a little bit of sense because I feel like money talks and <laughs> if they're trying to oh, figure yeah. out where the, yeah. like how to make the best to your, your previous example of trying to make the best impression on a big transaction deal or something that makes sense that they're all yeah. there, but very interesting. Okay. Um, so then after you Chicago, where'd you go off to, or like when you started applying and everything, did you take that business psych experience that you had gained and say like this is kind of the direction I want to run with or did you go elsewhere so I knew so at that so all through grad school it's like psychology is it's weird it really is weird I mean and applying to PhDs is like just we could do a podcast on that like it's just (laughs) it's really an interesting kind of process but a lot of what it comes down to it's a I mean it's academia is very small and I think a lot of what goes into the application process, I mean, it's hard because like with, I mean, PhD programs admit like two to three people right. per year. It's very competitive. Yes, I do know that. Yeah. Um, and a couple hundred people apply. And I mean, of those couple hundred people, like I'm sure a, a really decent amount of them could go into a PhD program and do well. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, there does come a point where it's like hard to distinguish applicants right because mm-hmm. like I said like I mean if you it, a lot of the PhD process is like doing just putting your head down and doing the work and like a lot of people would excel in that right um so the way you distinguish yourself really is kind of like through the faculty members that you've had a chance to work with in the field and mm-hmm. them you know advocating for you in the process and helping you connect with other faculty at different schools to where you're applying and so when I knew I wanted to do up until like through college, I had done developmental psychology, which is like the study. It's like a very cool branch of psychology. It like basically looks at from like the moment you're born 
like through adolescence like how do we become a human like how do we learn how to talk like how do we like realize that we're a person just like really cool research questions but like I said I realized I wanted to do business and so I knew I had to kind of get more research experience in that field and then also kind of make connections right um so I took a job as a lab manager at Cornell in their business school and I ran the lab for a year and then apply for PhDs. Okay. And then that's how you landed, landed your position. Oh, that's awesome. That's yeah. actually so strategic and smart. Um, cause I didn't even think it, I mean, if you, especially if you're coming from you Chicago, I'm sure there's connections in the psych world, but having no yeah. footing or background. Um, and that's just a, that's just an example to me of sometimes you got to put in the legwork up front and it's, it's just kind of grinding it out. Um, so it took what yeah. a year, which isn't in, in the grand scheme of things. It's not that big of a deal. Um, yeah. So very cool. Um, you just said, and now I'm like, I'm just going to start asking some side questions because unless there's anything else, sorry, before we jump into that, I'm just no, no, no. go for it. Is there anything else uh, from your, your path to where you're at now that you think is important or maybe anything would have changed about the way that you went about getting into the program now? Um, no, I don't think, I mean, I happen to get really lucky. Like, like I said, I happen to get going on research and like, that was a big thing. So if anyone who's listening to this, it happens to want to go to grad school. Like the most important thing is your research and your research experience. So like, and I was intimidated by it, but you're, as a research assistant, you're doing really easy work, right? Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like punching numbers, but having that experience really helps and is really important when you apply. Totally. So if you're at all interested, just kind of get going on it and then you have to fall back on. That'd be the one thing I'd add. I appreciate you just saying I was really lucky because I think sometimes we like to think that everything that we've done is solely based on our you know, work and and the effort we've put in, but sometimes it really is a matter of just how things plan out, which I just like appreciate you just straight up saying like, "Ah, I just have good luck. (laughs) No, I did. I mean, I happened to like be in a couple of classes with professors. I like interpersonally hit it off with, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? I will say though, you know, to your credit, I just had a conversation last week with a gentleman who we, we were talking about making opportunities for yourself and how important it is Mm -hmm. to use what's in front of you and recognize what's in front of you to make these new opportunities to take advantage of those connections. So you can say, you know, it is luck. And and certainly it is that it it was lucky that you had these great role models in your first couple of years of school. But, you know, had you not taken that leap of faith and made those connections and tried to establish those relationships, you wouldn't be where you are. So I I think there's a a little bit of a balance. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. It is a balance. And I mean, yeah, like you said, the minute you leave undergrad, you miss it. Like take Mm -hmm. advantage, take advantage like oh professors God. want to help you. That's mm-hmm. why they're, it's in part why they're there. Yeah. You know, a lot of professors love being mentors. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't like speak for professors, but a lot of the professors I know love being mentors. Totally. And so totally. take advantage. Like they're just really brilliant people with great perspectives on life and whatever it is you're studying. Yeah. And everyone likes to talk about themselves. So just go up and ask them a question oh, yeah. too about what literally, they're doing. But... <laughs> literally love to talk about themselves. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So now let's get into the psych. First, 
I almost went back to the developmental, but I'd actually love to hear what you're doing now. So what is, what is your, um, your studies look like, but then what are you most interested in from a, a business psych standpoint? So, I mean, I'm broadly interested just in the way, like, how do we, how and why do we make judgments about others? And like, what are the implications of those judgments? Um, and that can like, t- it's taking a lot of different paths in some of the research projects I have going on. Um, but one in Feel free also to, to plug in like any of your knowledge on any of this, because I also just love okay. to hear, like, you know, what you've, if you want to geek out for a minute or two, or something, okay. yeah, yeah. Like, feel free to just share your totally. knowledge. Cause like I said, when, when I saw totally. your TikTok, I was like, this is so, and you just put it together. So di- in such a digestible way that I love to hear. So please feel free to steal the floor. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's, it's like, just our brains are amazing like amazing and weird and also like the subconscious part of our brain like that's what I think is kind of that's what draws me to this line of research is we're constantly making judgments about people and they're like the judgments we make about people are really important right like they have really important implications on the way we interact with them and like if they get promoted or not or if we decide to be their friend if we decide to date them um and a lot of times we're not even aware of our brain making these judgments or like how we're making these judgments mm-hmm. but they're so important so something so this is like in a business setting I'm looking at how people's age impacts the way people think about their creativity potential so for example if I look at an older person if I see a 50 year old in the workplace and somebody they chose me another 30 year old like who do I think has the ability to be more creative and why and you know research has overwhelmingly showed us that people are very biased like towards old people in general but also when it comes to creativity like people just expect you to not be creative at all like past the age of 30 which just isn't true like the average age of venture capital recipient dollars is 50. So really? people starting businesses people. in our country are 50. Mm-hmm. But be, like to your, yeah, a lot of people think it's like 30 year olds. And I think part of that is like, we're just biased towards young people where we think like, oh, young people have all this energy and like, you know, new ideas and, you know, follow through. And also in, I mean, in our media, you see like Steve Jobs, you know bill gates like there aren't inspirational movies being made about like a 50 year old who starts a company Mm -hmm. do you have you seen a difference in like culturally um those countries that maybe value their elderly a little bit more like i know is it it china instead of sending all their elder family members off to retirement homes they keep them in the home and they actually like take care do you see have you noticed or I mean, in your research, I mean, have you seen any sort of bias based on like location, geography, family values, things like that? I, so I haven't looked at this specifically with creativity, but I have like read ageism research and like um, the U.S. is like by far more ageist than other countries. Yeah, we hate our like, old we, people. <laughs> we know we really, really do. Like my, <laughs> one of my advisors is Turkish. 
Um, and she, I've like talked to her about this project and she is like, that would not be the case in Turkey. Like it just wouldn't be. Mm -hmm. Um, there's like much more deference and respect for people who are older in other spaces. And we just really don't have that. Like there was actually, it was really interesting. Like this study was done by professors at Stanford and NYU. And it found that liberal people in certain situations, and it's surprising because you you would expect liberal people to be against any kind of bias, but they found that liberal people, more so than conservative people, like are okay with the practice of ageism. Are okay with it. Yeah. So meaning like they, they are maybe like judging or more accepting of the fact that we don't support old people as much as we support young people yeah no like the, in the studies they were actively like an, if an old person's in a job the responsible thing to do is for that old person to leave so a younger person can come and take it interesting yeah interesting and i mean that's just not i mean research also overwhelmingly shows us i mean so many studies have been done about this right the more diverse of a team you have the better your outcomes are mm-hmm. and on so many different levels and in so many different capacities. And so this idea that we are only allocating creative type tasks to people of a certain age group, like is really not great for companies, mm-hmm. right? Because they're missing a ton of different perspectives by eliminating those voices. And I mean, there, I mean, a lot of people think there is like a cognitive decline that impacts your creativity output, but you don't see that. Not until at 35. Like <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah. You don't see it until like, like 70. And at that point, yeah. you know, you're typically not working. Yeah. No, it's so funny. Cause I'm just thinking about this. I, I mean, in the back of my mind, I've always knew known ageism is a, is a thing very much. So, and I think in high school, when you talk about those studies of um, how we respect our elders, things like that. I've always been like, oh yeah, like U.S. just like ships them off. <laughs> like you hit seven news, yeah. like, get out of the house. But it it makes me curious to you then, you know, as from from my perspective, as I've been getting older, I've been very fearful of the future and like, oh, I have to figure my life out now because once I hit this age, like it's done, you know? And I wonder if that contributes yeah. to that mindset, a little bit of like, I can only really be productive in my years, twenties and like thirties, but then once I'm old, I'm old. Like, and it's like this fear of getting yeah. old. I wonder if it contributes to that at all, which I hate. Cause like I, I hear yeah, about like people who are like point. my best years were like forties, fifties. And it's like, but in my mind, I'm like, no, that's when I like start shriveling. Like, I can't, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But. That's so funny. Yeah, because whenever I like, I've heard so many interviews from celebrities lately who are like forty plus, where like this literally like my peak. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, there's for a sure. settledness that happens. Yeah, I, did, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And I feel like it's also different with men and women. Like you see that come up a lot, where like men who are older are seen as more powerful. Mm-hmm. Where women who are older like there are some benefits of being older like perception wise like you're as a woman you're seen as like more warm and more trustworthy like you're always less you're always seen as as powerful than men like Mm -hmm. there is research that just like almost always in every situation a man like physically speaking is seen as more powerful than a woman but age-wise like it just that the gap gets even worse with age right 
Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Give me, give me more. I love this. Uh, any other like cool studies or things that you've learned in your experience that you're like, oh my God, this is kind of shaped how I've been looking at the world. Interesting. Well, so one study I love, and this isn't really pertaining to my research, but um, it's called, it's a paper by Harvard Business School professor, Allison Wood Brooks. It's a great trick. If you're ever nervous, People typically try to calm themselves when they're nervous, like meditate, breathe, whatever. But really a better strategy is to tell yourself that you're excited. Like if you just say in your head over and over again, I'm excited, you tend to actually calm down and perform or do whatever you're about to do better. Yeah. It's an, I mean, so it's like kind of a physiological thing Mm -hmm. where it's harder, like it's harder for our brain to be tricked by the fact that we're calm when we're anxious mm-hmm. because they're so like they're in different states right but if you're try, if you're saying I'm excited when you're nervous like those are kind of more matched so it's easier for your brain to be like oh yeah 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 I'm interesting excited. okay that see you just talking about the like tricking your brain I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on this like are you ever just flabbergasted by how I don't know how to put this so I'm gonna put this in a very like dumbed down way but how like moronic our brains are sometimes versus how complex they are like sometimes I hear of these things where it's like your brain can't tell the difference between for instance the like the different feelings or the brain can't tell the difference between what's real versus what's not yet the brain can also compute like all these crazy things and and make these subconscious thoughts about or um judgments about other people Uh, do you find yourself like teetering on one edge of the other of like how is this so so complex yet so simple at the same time it's so bizarre like our brain is so bizarre like we it's like and I think this uh, I mean and I'm not a neurologist like I really don't know very much but from what I do know like the subconscious part of our brain is wacky like it's really wackadoodle like there is so much in there like there is so much in our brain that we just really are not privy to like you never forget a human face that you see ever. crazy is is it true the the comment about your dreams you can't make things up in your dream so every like location every face that you see in yeah dream is something that you have seen whether it's in a magazine or in person or in a quick mm-hmm. commercial things like that is that true? Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's, like, it's just like your subconscious is always doing things to you. I mean, one thing, okay, one thing I think about all the time, and it makes me question myself a little too much, I think, <laughs> is research on memory. Like, our memories are so unreliable. Like, they have done studies, like, where they have convinced people that they have, like, committed crimes that they did not commit. Like they bring participants into a lab and like ultimately the participants like, okay, here's what happened. Like it was October 4th and I like robbed this bank and it did not happen, but they like really think it did. Like our brains can just create memories that didn't happen. Like this is okay. This is okay. I don't, this is the thing. There are some psychology tips that I've learned that I feel kind of bad using but this is, I mean, so we don't remember things. We're really bad at remembering. And we, but we can also create memories really easily. And so if you ever forget to tell someone something, like a boss or a friend that you were supposed to mention, you can just say, oh, you probably, 
you know, as remember I told you, and then say the thing. And people will often say, oh yeah, I remember you said that. But you didn't <laughs> tell them that before. Oh my gosh, is this like narcissism? Yeah, <laughs> it works a kind of yeah like I do that all the time with people I'm like oh remember remember I have to leave remember I told you I have to leave early because I have that doctor's appointment and they're like oh yeah because they don't want to look rude either yeah yeah they don't want to look like oh I this girl told me she has a doctor's appointment but I forgot right yeah is everything okay it's like (laughs) yeah no exactly (laughs) exactly I'm curious hearing you say that do you find yourself applying things you learn in psych in your own day-to-day or like on the flip side you know when we bring it back to your research and your studies in impressions do you find yourself like monitoring the way that you're judging other people or like you know actually actively trying to modify the way you act because you know like oh if I turn my shoulders a little bit more open to this individual they're gonna perceive me as more warm and like are you going through that mess with the way that you act in your day-to-day yes and no I mean that's part of I mean like I said a lot of it is subconscious so like in the moment like it happens so quickly in the moment I can't always even be fully cognizant of it but certainly like in retrospect when I'm thinking about things I'm like oh this came out this way or like that came, you mm-hmm. know I feel like definitely in retrospect um but I mean one thing that comes up and I mean you said like the TikTok video you found me on there's a lot of research about like women and their appearance and how that impacts people's judgments and like it's just really depressing research. Like it's just like really really tell research. me, hit me with it. Yeah, I mean, just like really stereotypically bad stuff. Like mm-hmm. people are like really discriminatory against blondes. I mean, like cat like think they're dumber than other hair colors. It's like mm-hmm. that makes no sense. Um, like people like weight is. There's a really interesting study that Maurice uh, Schweitzer did at UPenn that looked at people's weight in the workplace and basically like there is so much prejudice against people who are heavier mm-hmm. I mean so much so like they are less likely to get promoted they're seen as lazy like they have trouble like making like networking connections mm-hmm. um and, and again would you, like, the- would you classify those sorry to cut you off there but yeah. would you classify those judgments as that subconscious piece that you're talking about or is that more of like a societal about like how would you classify that in the world of psych well I think I mean I think those judgments are shaped by our society I mean that's also it's interesting like a lot of the like evolutionary psychology is just so interesting like because a lot of it just goes back to the way we thought and functioned as like hunters and gatherers right Mm -hmm. like the the prejudice against people who weigh more like are rooted in like evolutionary beliefs do you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. oh if you if you're heavier you're harder to take care of or like whatever I mean you know what I mean like you aren't helping us like hunt and gather as much as you should be right Mm -hmm. so it's rooted in that but like have been perpetuated and continue to be perpetuated like with our media Mm-hmm. You know, like with the way people just kind of colloquially talk about things, like who you like, you talk about representation, like who you see in movies or in different magazine ads. And I mean, all of that shapes 
the way you see things mm-hmm. and the way you interpret things. And so I don't think people actively, for the most part, like I'm sure there are some like, you know, Horrible like fatphobic people. <laughs> people, but I think yeah. by and large, yeah, I think by and large, people don't want to be discriminatory against somebody because of their body shape. Mm-hmm. but they're just not it's not like your brain isn't telling you like oh I see this person as lazy because they're heavy you just see them and you're like you see them do something like for example like you see a heavy person leave early from work and you're like oh it's because they're lazy mm-hmm. you see a skinny person leave from work and you're like oh they have you know a doctor's appointment or they have somewhere they must really need to be like you're just making those judgments mm-hmm. yeah not actively like in the context of Analyzing where they it. come from. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is my, might be a little bit of a personal question. So if you don't want to answer this, totally understand. I'm just curious if you have any like religious affiliation, um, given your studies, I've, I've listened to podcasts that have talked about your stream of consciousness as like, essentially like your soul and, and your relationship with, you know, a higher power, things like that. Just curious if you are religious yourself or if you've come across folks who have to balance, you know, the science and what we see in a lab or in our studies versus just like their faith and belief in maybe some higher power. Yeah. I mean, so academia is, I'd say like pretty Mm non-religious, um, by way of its makeup. Um, and it's not, there are, so to answer your question about myself, I grew up Catholic, um, went to a Catholic school from preschool through Boston College. Um, and I'm still, like, I still definitely, like, you know, TBD a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like, a lot of things I agree with, with the religion, like the social justice piece, um, you know, the basic core tenets of Christianity, right? love your neighbor, um, you know, stand up for the poor and marginalized. I went to a Jesuit college and they're just very, like I said, very social justice minded. And like, mm-hmm. I think that perspective is something that really resonates. Um, so I, I, you know, still do believe in God and something, it, this is so funny, like something that I think in my mind as evidence, not that I keep like a bullet point list of evidence for or not for God, but something that's compelling to me um there's this study that looked at infants and looked at infants and their personalities and they categorized these infants into three different personality categories one was like agreeable i think like slow to warm and then basically like difficult to be around Mm -hmm. so and then they they kept track of these infants you know, throughout period, throughout the majority of their life. And and they found that the initial boxes that they put them in remained consistent, right? So as an infant, if you had an agreeable personality, you were likely to have that personality as an adult. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also things like twin studies, right? Like the nature versus nurture aspect. It's just like, people can be born at the same time same exact circumstances but just see and think about the world completely differently and you know going to the kind of spiritual piece like 
there's part of me that wonders it's like well where do, where would that come from mm-hmm. you know what I mean like, like who you are in the core yeah like yeah. how there's part I mean there's just part of it that can't be and I think your environment certainly shapes who you are and shapes your life outcomes in a lot of ways but there's this scientific or there's this piece that just can't fully be explained scientifically or even biologically of just like why are you you Mm -hmm. you know right right no I Um, I totally hear that I think that's where you know my mind was kind of going when you were saying how how crazy like memories are and and just like the concept of these thoughts that just turn through your head and I am the same way. I'm, I'm a, I grew up, um, Christian and, and raised in Christian home. And, and even now, like I still practice my faith, but I've always been a science person. I think in my high school days and beginning of college, I had a really, really hard time intern, like an internal battle between I'm a bio girl through and through. Like I studied biology, love biology. And I'm like evolution, like <laughs> that's what it is. It's yeah. like, and then there's this this aspect too, then I'm like, but I'm supposed to believe that everything is the way it is just because it is because, you know, some Mm. higher power is controlling it. And so I had such a hard time teetering back and forth. Um, But I think the way that you, you put it there is, is just a a very, I'm not trying to like sway people one way or the other by no means, but it's just just an interesting thought, like an interesting concept. Cause I agree. Like the most recent podcast I just listened to from another folk, um, they were just talking about you know, that stream of consciousness, that's the, that subconscious thought is essentially your soul. And, and that's where your soul resonates in this, like the, where their passion and the purpose and all of those things are. So it's just like your body is just the shell. The brain is just, you know, like parts of the shell, all these things. So I'm, yeah. I'm intrigued by, by how you just broke that down there. Um, I, I'm curious, do you, have you, are you interested in, or in your studies at all? Have you looked at what's it's like quantum physics but like people I'm going back to I'll I'll come full circle here so manifestation is another thing that I've been like very Mm -hmm. intrigued by and I think there's going back to spirituality some people just call it like the energy of the universe other people say like you're asking God like this is when you're putting out these positive vibes you're putting out these positive vibes to a higher power things like that. And then how quantum mechanics and all that come into play with the connections that your body makes the frequency that your body is resonating in and then how it works in your mind. So like training your, your mind for those subconscious thoughts, you're talking about the judgment there before. Like if you consistently judge other people and think about judging other people, then that's all you're going to think about versus if you train your, your brain and these pathways to think about good thoughts or like maybe judge people in more of a positive light or even to the yeah. like self esteem and building up your self-confidence. If you train yourself to think positive thoughts, that's all you'll do. Do you ever touch into that in the world of psychology at all? Or is that kind of another realm of science that you don't dabble in? That's another realm, but it's something that I think about a lot. I mean, I, th- I mean, it's something, I mean, it's kind of related in terms of like representation a little bit, if that makes sense. Like, I feel like it's easier to put that energy out when you can see it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, I, that's do, something I do I, think about. Like, I do agree with that. However, do you think that sometimes it's almost like when you think about it though, then you see it more like the whole phenomena with punch bugs. When you're looking for punch bugs, you see punch bugs everywhere. But when you forget that punch bugs exist or you're just not thinking about it, then you're not going to see it. So it's like that, that that, like confirmation bias, you know, where 
if I stay in my head, everyone around me, I saw this one thing that was like, if you start smiling out at the world and smile at people in the streets, people will smile back at you and you'll think, oh my gosh, everyone's so happy. Whereas if you walk around with your head down, you look at the street and no one else is smiling back at you. You think, oh my gosh, everyone's just so cranky today. So it's like how you yeah. change yourself makes you perceive the world differently. I don't know. Just, just a thought. <laughs> no, it's so interesting. I mean, for, I mean, there is like research on like perspective taking and framing that can be really powerful too. Mm-hmm. Just like people, I mean, Nick Epley's done research on this. He's at UChicago. Like people are just like really bad at taking into account the fact that somebody has a perspective other than their own. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I think we just go through the world like really in our own head a lot. Can I ask right? you, do you, given your experience on the developmental research, I know I remember like way back when that we talked about like your ego developing and there's a certain age when you start recognizing that you aren't the center of the universe and like other people have different experiences. Do you think we've regressed as a society? Cause I know that's something that you're supposed to develop very early on, but do you think, you know, given the age of social media that that's had an impact on us not being able to perceive other people's perspectives? John, Jonathan and NYU talked about this and yeah, like I think, I mean, I watched the, there's a documentary on Netflix that's amazing. It's called, I think it's called this, I think it's called the social dilemma, something like that. It basically outlines like the algorithm, like how, like why is Facebook and TikTok, why are they so addictive? And it's like, they're feeding you stuff that you know, that they know you'll watch. And like you said, this confirmation bias, like, (laughs) We like hearing and being around people that like confirm our views of the world. Like that, our brain likes that. Like there's this, like our brain actively tries to block out information that is like incongruent with what we think we know to be true. Um, what was I talking about? No, this is great. We were talking about social media impacting, you know, our ego and our ability to perceive others. Yeah. So I think it like, I think number one, we aren't being shown other perspectives, which is a problem. And then also like social media, it's done this weird thing. And I have to be careful how I word this because People do have a right to speak their minds. Like people do have a right to say their opinions, but like it has created this like false sense of like, I am entitled to say exactly what I think whenever I think it and however I want to say it. And it's like, that's just not, like there needs to be some kind of regulation, right? Like you can't just go through the world saying whatever you want. You know what I mean? Like there has to be, like, I think we've lost the art of like thoughtful dialogue in that, right? Because there, I mean, there's research on like conflict resolution. I mean, obviously like talking in person to somebody is much more fruitful conflict resolution wise than like doing it online. Just because people, like there's not as much accountability there, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's actually such a great point. You're, piece about how 
we're getting filtered things that are our perspective. So we stop seeing other perspectives. I've never really it's bad. thought about it, but it's funny because media gives this an almost false narrative of like, oh, well, you know, I saw this on TikTok. So I'm getting exposed to all these other thoughts, but ultimately you're just feeding your own <laughs> biases. Like, yeah. No, you really are. Yeah. Like, I do you try- have any recommendations to like, I don't know, expand your horizons, especially knowing how important it is to keep your, keep an open mind? I try to, I watch the news. I mean, you can read, I mean, this would probably be reading for a lot of people, but I flip through all of the different news channels. Like at the end of the day, I usually watch like news for like half an hour to an hour. Mm-hmm. And like for however long I'm going to watch it for, I like force myself to be on the varying spans of opinions, right? For like an equal amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been helpful. Also, for whatever reason, Twitter, like out of still not great, like you're still probably being fed more of your own bias but I think Twitter outside you know compared to Facebook and TikTok like does tend to be a little bit more balanced somewhat Mm -hmm. um yeah it's really hard yeah it's really hard yeah yeah so interesting well I am looking at the clock right now I did not realize how quickly this hour went by I could talk to you for hours this has been so great uh-huh. I can't thank you enough thank for you again for having me this was really fun it yeah. was really really fun good I'm so happy like I said I like to just share people's stories get some wisdom from people you spend all this time learning about all these crazy things so I just want to give a platform <laughs> to share it um so Mary if you want to drop your TikTok I know you've been posting a lot of of different studies things that you've seen um I'll give you the floor to do so in a second and I'll also link it in the bio um but yeah like I said it's been so such a pleasure having you come on here oh thanks so much awesome well really appreciate it yeah my TikTok is Mary Pat Ross okay Perfect. Perfect. All right. You heard that everybody. I'm going to link it in the bio. Um, if you thought this conversation was interesting, which I'm definitely biased, but I thought it was fantastic. Uh-huh. Feel free to, you know, like it, send it to a friend, follow the podcast, follow Mary. Um, but thank you again. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you too. All right. Bye Talk Mary. Bye.